Dude, oh, no my reason. calendar looks amazing <laughs> right now. <laughs> you. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week two of 2022, and so far I have managed to write 2022 on all my paper checks. I'm Chris Lloyd, and with me I have my co-host Brian Deach, who is now defrosted from his vacation in the snow. Well, now, look at this, guys. I guess it is Chris that I saw on TV that was writing checks at the grocery store, slowing everything down. How dare you, man? Uh, for everyone listening, it's not supply chain issues. It's just Chris. Well, it's because you got to write all those zeros. That's why. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, some real estate transactions still require paper checks. Some educational facilities still require paper checks. And for the record... I self-checkout at the grocery store and I use Apple Pay on my Apple Watch. So I give the Costco checkers a run for their money on their items per minute KPI. Anytime someone asks me if I want to use self-checkout, I'm like, I don't work here. I just go right back in line. I don't, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I'm the opposite. I, I think I can be faster than this guy checking out and my time is more valuable. So I just do it myself. All right, real quick, not to get too derailed, maybe this will make it into a special, but when you guys go shopping, grocery shopping, like how much do you actually spend? It depends where I'm at. It's, it, it seems... Let's just say yeah. like regular groceries, not a Costco. Oh, trip. like average 100, 150. Yeah, about 100 sounds about right. Yeah, I'm like two, 250 every single time. Well, you got a family of six, Feeding right? six yeah. people. Six yeah, grown yeah, adults. Bigger family. Yeah. <laughs> So, Chris, if you want to move to Arizona and, and be my self-checkout guy, you're, you're my man. Uh, I'll do that in retirement. <laughs> and we've also got Glenn Medina, who has a big announcement to make this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 42. And yes, I have a big announcement. I've chosen to chase a dream of working at a startup. Finally had the chance to do this, and it's going to be a fun time, I think. The company is called Island, and they're in stealth mode. It was tough leaving Zscaler, as I've made many friends during my time there. And a special call-out to folks like Guy Marone, George Williams, Michael Chen, Ben Bailey, Mike Loy, and Paul Brettel, and of course, Chris and Brian. How could I not say thank you to you guys? Some more to mention. Um, sorry. Um, more to mention, but we only have 45 minutes and it feels like the Emmys where Chris is going to chase me off the stage here. Thank you all at Z who have helped me in my success. Thank you. Fun fact. Uh, he sent out his farewell email and I was not on it. So how close are we really? You would have never known if I did type duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good job, Glenn. I was about to get ready to play the play him off music. So uh, got, got done just in time. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If it's not clear by now, all the joke hate we've been sending Glenn's way is because he's leaving us at Zscaler to pursue his dream of joining an early-stage startup backed by executives he's worked with in the past. We wish him the best, and we'll keep him on the PebCAC podcast until his HR or legal team tells him to knock it off. For opening topic, I saw a report about Apple's supply chain woes that they are quickly running out of the M1 Max chips because they're selling way more than the M1 Pros. 
I was tempted to go with the cheaper M1 Pro when I was scoping out my next machine, but when you upgrade to the M1 Max, it automatically comes with the 32 gigs of RAM upgrade, so it wasn't too much more, so I went with the Max. We each got new M1 Max Max last month, so what are your first impressions of the M1 Max chip? I want to set the record straight. You only got the M1 Max only because we goaded you into getting it, not because you wanted to go with the M1 Max initially. Correct us if we're wrong. No, I had the M1 Max with the 24-core processor. You goaded me into getting the 32-core processor. Yeah, so, you know, working for a new company and love them so much that they sent me the new M1 Max uh, 32 gig, 16 inch, loving it. Um, I can tell you what, it is super fast. Um, the one thing though, that people won't notice aside from it being fast is it's got a great speaker system. I, I actually like using it more so now than my iPad and, uh, the audio from it is just super clear. The, the screen is really large, larger than the 13 inch that I had before. And, uh, it works well. What about you, Brian? So I think if Tim, or I'm sorry, if uh, Steve Jobs is still alive, he'd probably roll in his grave, right? This thing is like, uh, you know, Apple took a page out of Dell's book. They just came out with this behemoth beast that can move and it is fast, but it is bulky and heavy and everything that they discontinued, they brought back. I love the MagSafe adapter. I'm with you. The audio is phenomenal. And, you know, I, I've been sitting on my old Mac uh, for, if any reason, this has a Jordan logo on it, um, since 2016. So switching over to this and, and working with it today, I was, like, blown away. Like, this is, like, literally the first day back from vacation. And I'm just shocked by how phenomenal this thing is. But, yeah, it is uh, – I did a 16-inch like you, and it's, it's, it's a heavy little turd, uh, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I like it, you know, clunky or not, it's, it's pretty, uh, BA. Yeah. I, I think it comes in at like seven pounds so you can do leg lunges with it in the backpack, get your exercise in at the <laughs> same time. Use it as defense in the, uh, the that's, airport when I call somebody out. That's right. Over the head with it. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Yeah, I opted for the, I opted for the smaller 14. It's a little bit more portable. It's a little bit lighter and I'm pretty happy with the the screen size. Yeah, the one thing I did notice is I had it I had a 13 inch air, the the old the old air before the M1, and I had a 15 inch MacBook Pro from 2013. And this is noticeably thicker, so they did increase the thickness of it, but I guess they had to. I mean this this the battery life on this is insane. Like I, I use it a significant amount of the day when I'm not plugged in and I don't think I've ever fallen below maybe 60% charge. So I guess that's how they, they crammed the battery in there and 32 cores in there. So I can't really complain. I haven't really used the speakers too much, but yeah, the screen is amazing. I have not been able to get it to slow down at all, even though I have lots of apps open, lots of Chrome tabs open, but overall very happy with the upgrade. Do you guys leave your, your laptop like plugged in all the time or only when it's dead? I cycle through. So kind of like all the other battery devices in my home, I try to cycle through the power and let it drain, not drain to the end, but drain to maybe about 10, 20% and then I plug them back in. It's so easy now, right? You could just call out, you know, our good friends, Alexa or Siri, and they can just turn off the switch off and on for us or for me anyways. 
I leave mine plugged in all the time if I'm not using it. Yeah, same here. The my old one, uh, I had to like fire it up today to figure out where some images were that I had saved, and uh, I didn't have it connected to a power source. And it's been pretty much connected to power for the last two years, and it turned on, and then about thirty seconds on into it actually booting up, it just turned off. The battery's gone. That thing is dead. So that happened to me on the Mac thirteen Intel maybe two years ago, and lucky for me it was it was warranted so um that's why i like cycling through my batteries um hey the only thing my i'll tell you i'll tell you what my biggest complaint is and i'll, and I'll just because we have to put something out we should put something out there as a disclaimer some of the intel based applications don't run right on the new mac m1 chip right and this goes back to the m1 prior so if you're running anything like fusion or parallels and you're trying to install Windows, good luck. You're going to need an ARM version of Windows to install on there um, because it just doesn't work. And then going back to, um, you know, I think we had the, the one episode on print drivers for the Mac M1. Um, while most of the generic ones work, uh, some of the ones specifically to like scanners don't, do not work as well. So just a call out there. Yeah, it's a good call. For for me, most of the software, actually all the software I use runs fine on the M1. The exception being the Fusion or Parallels, but I have a Windows computer for when I need to test things on Windows. I'm pretty happy with Mac. Yeah, I was really hoping that this was going to solve that and there was going to be an emulator. They're going to come out so that way I don't have to carry two laptops with me. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fine. All right, on to our first topic. We are just getting back to our first real episode of the new year. Last week was to ease you back in, and before we go on telling you who got owned this week or which ransomware crew is wreaking havoc with log for shell we can at least talk about a bug that can only be described as harebrained. We were all around for Y2K, the mass hysteria surrounding the change from the year of 1999 to the year 2000. Since computers traditionally only stored the last two digits of the year in memory, when the clocks changed to 00 to represent the year 2000, there was a huge fear that computers would believe the year was 1900 and do unexpected things. Planes would fall from the sky, nuclear power plants would melt down, and the like. Thankfully, nothing significant happened, and all the code was patched in time. It was a good time to be an assembly or a Fortran coder in the late 90s. You could write your own ticket consulting for companies trying to make their code Y2K compliant. Well, 22 years later, Microsoft, in their infinite wisdom, created Y22K. Exchange mail servers stopped delivering email when the clock struck midnight on January 1st, 2022, due to an integer overflow error. What happened? The mail program stores dates and times using something called signed integers, and those max out at a number that starts with 2-1. It just so happens that Microsoft uses the first two numbers of an update to denote the year it was released, so as long as the year was 2021 or earlier, everything worked fine. When Microsoft pushed the first patch of 2022, the Exchange server could not interpret the number because it was out of bounds of what number is possible. And remember, Exchanger only process numbers that start with 2, 1, or lower. As if it weren't enough that Log4Shell ruined the Christmas holidays of IT staff around the world, the Y22K bug that Microsoft introduced ruined New Year's Day for them again. Well, that and if you were a sober sysadmin at midnight on New Year's 
day, I'm hoping you got a huge bonus. You know, what can I say? Uh, you know, welcome to operations. Am I right? I, I do question, uh, you know, some of the stuff behind this, but you know, whatever I, you know, I get it. Um, I did actually get hit with this once when I was at an airline and had, had nothing to do with Y2K or Y22K. Uh, but it was actually the Ethiopian calendar. I don't know if you guys know this, but do you do you actually know what year it is in Ethiopia right now? No clue. I do not. It's actually 2015. They their day zero is is off by seven years, and so they actually have 13 months, still 365 days in a year. But it is com- like is this weird how they actually take stuff in? So if you are in like the you know the, a major city, you'll get a receipt of you know 2022. But if you go outlying, right, and you hit up something, uh, you're going to see that it's, um, you know, their their receipt will actually be 2015. Do you guys have any ideas why? Nothing to do with the Mayan calendar, I suppose. No. (laughs) (laughs) Chris, any guesses? I'm guessing it has to do with, well, you said the number of days are the same. They just have more months. 12 is a bad number. And I... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not actually sure. Yeah. I, I'm guessing there's some rounding error that compounds itself over time, similar to why we have a leap year every four years. So they still observe leap years as well, and that's part of that 13th month. But uh, And I was down going down the same route as you when I figured this one out, or when I was starting to research it. And it has nothing to do with, you know, 13 months or whatever, but it's like kind of like the birth of Jesus, whereas the Gregorian calendar says, like, hey, Jesus was, like, born, like, five or six or seven, you know, um, BC, and then you kind of go on from there. The Ethiopian calendar says, well, the day that he was born is was day zero, right? And that's why you have that discrepancy between the two. I had no idea. I had to look it up on Wikipedia. Interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. But it's not 13 months. It is 13 months, though, right? So... What's, yeah, they do have 13 months. What are they? I don't know what the, ne- the other month... Yeah, it's, it's, it's in a language I couldn't read. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there's a listener out there from Ethiopia that can help us with understanding this one. This is mind-blowing. Yeah, I've been good. alive for over 50, close to 50 years. I've never heard of another calendar. Well, maybe the Mayan calendar, but yeah, this is kind of funny. I've got to go check this out now. Yeah, I was going to say we could switch to the Mayan calendar, but I'm like, oh, wait, that ended in 2012, so we'd be in trouble if we were on the Mayan <laughs> calendar. Would that have been so bad? Y12K right there. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though, like... I would think that no email would almost be a good thing. I'm I'm kind of sick of it. So I think there there had to been like a handful of people that were just like, whew, no email on January 1st. Thank the Lord. You know who did it? That's a feature. That's not a bug. Yeah. Yeah. You know who didn't have an issue with that was the folks that are using Google Mail. That's true. Yes. So yes, that's correct. There is an alternative. I remember back in the day, maybe 20 years ago, there were no other alternatives. Maybe Lotus Notes. Right, Lotus Notes. That's got to be a uh, long time. Lotus, Locutus yeah. Notes, yeah. But uh, they're gone. And what other mail system, popular mail systems, were out there other than for the enterprise? That is right. Other than Exchange. Yeah, it's usually Microsoft or Gmail. Yeah, and Gmail wasn't around twenty wonder... years ago, right? I mean, it's got to be plus early stage enterprise grade. Not yeah, not enterprise so, grade for sure. Okay. I remember the days when people were selling Gmail invites on eBay for like 50 bucks a piece. 
I haven't talked to one single customer that has exchange on-prem. Like it is, everyone's like 0365 now. I'm surprised that this is even a thing. I think federal government still uses a lot of on-premises exchange, although from the problems that they had last year with exchange, they might have strongly considered switching to the cloud version. You know who did have one? Hillary, Proxy shell. Hillary Clinton had one. <laughs> <laughs> you mean with the cloth? <laughs> All right. For our next topic, over the holiday break, Brian took the time to read the terms and conditions for Verizon's rewards program. And it turns out he found something interesting in there. So yeah, my, my mother-in-law, um, we recently signed her up with Verizon on her phone. And anyways, long story short, they have something called the, the Verizon custom experience. And you are like automatically enrolled in this today. And it was a feature that just came out. And by feature, it's actually a data collection platform that basically it collect, collects all the apps, websites that you, you know, either use or visit, uh, reading the terms and services, right? They're not going to be selling this to advertisers if you can believe that. But, uh, you know, the intent is that Verizon is going to do some type of, you know, their own internal research. I'm kind of curious, like what you guys think they're going to do with this information. I, I'm starting to think that they're going to go down the route of like a la carte pricing for your web activity. Like, hey, you want to be able to stream? Well, then you have to buy the, the streaming package. You want to go out to social media? You need to be, pick a social media category. Uh, very similar to like how you shop for TV channels. Um, historically, like, hey, you want, you know, this bundle, it you know, includes ESPN and, and Cinemax and blah, blah, blah. What do you guys think? I actually want cable channels to be a la carte because I, I know even a number of years ago, like to subscribe to ESPN alone was like five or seven dollars a month. And I don't watch ESPN, so I'd rather save the five, the five to seven dollars a month. But I don't think you'll ever get away with that because the cable lobby is just too strong and you're going to have to buy all 900 channels if you want like these three particular channels no i'm saying i don't when know you, if... when you sign up for internet you'll say well do i want to have the ability to go out and do streaming media and i want to do social media and i want to do online shopping i think you might have, instead of just saying i want internet unlimited you know give me my you know one terabytes or one gig per second i think they might start doing like a la carte pricing on it i don't know I think you're onto something because I want to say in some of the developing world, they do have like cellular plans that are like that. Like you want the Facebook package, you can buy this, but you can't go to Google. Or if you want the casual browsing package, then you can get to a couple websites. I'll have to look that up. But I think in the developing world, they do have things like social media packages or streaming packages and other types of packages that, that you can buy. Think of the systems that have to control that type of traffic, right? And 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 not only do control that traffic, but control control it on an individual basis within the tower itself. So as as you're traveling along and you're streaming, man, that's got to be a lot of horsepower sitting within those towers in order to do something like that. Well, just ask the UK. The UK, I'm fairly certain they've done something like this where. If you want to access an adult content website, you have to register with your photo ID in order to gain access to the site. There's no line that says, yes, I'm 18. You click a box and you, you go on your way. The UK has some pretty strict controls and our UK listeners can 
tell us you know, what, what's, what's fact, yeah. what's fiction about it. But as far as I know, you actually need some type of online browsing license to just view adult content in the, the UK. And they have some, I'm guessing, some DNS control or some type of content filtering that all the ISPs have to use to honor this this adult content licensing system. Yeah. It's, it, I think, Brian, you're, you're bringing a great point. Like, what are they doing with this data? Like, in how how is it being stored and and then probably to your next 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 our next discussion is how do we opt out of it because you know ever since that whole discussion around applications um or you know things like facebook being able to use other applications in order to mine data from your phone i've turned that feature off right so is that something that we can go back into and educate some of our listeners on 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 letting them understand like what is that used for or how to get out of it Absolutely. Yeah. If you, you know, if you guys, you know, our listeners, if you guys are into privacy like us, you know, there is a way to actually opt out. So you just have to log into your account. And I'm not too sure if you can do this from the mobile app, but you can definitely do it from the web browser. Uh, you just log into your account, go to account settings, privacy, and then you want to toggle anything you see for the custom experience or custom experience plus. And then, uh, you know, the further, you know, just really kind of button it all up. Also click on the identity verification settings and toggle that as well. So I think that's uh, you're probably your best bet on, you know, keeping Verizon from hoarding your data of yeah. what you'd like to do. So have you done that already? Profiling you. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have to do it per plan or per user? I think it's probably per plan. Probably per plan. Yeah. I, I don't like, again, this is for my mother-in-law, so I have no idea. Mm-hmm. To get back to your question, what are they going to do with this data? I think in the end, their end game is going to be targeted ads. I think it's going to be targeted ads. They're going to sell your... Because Verizon, they have your location data. They can ping you on the cell tower. They know exactly where you are. They have your location data. If they can tell what you're browsing, then they can advertise this as this person you know, with this phone number. It was in this location. You know, Send them an ad to walk into your store because they're, they're interested in... in their search history includes these these terms. I think that's more likely where they're going with that. I think in the end, everyone just is just going to turn into an ad company, just like you know, yeah. Amazon, Google, Facebook. They're, they're, they're just all gigantic ad companies. When that happens, I'm going to open up a VPN company. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see what happened with, uh, you know how Apple made it hard for like Facebook and other apps to track you, mm-hmm. like the, the workaround that's been built in. Have you guys read about that yet? What's that? Uh, so the app is going to assume that if I, if you are not sharing your stuff with, you know, third party advertisers, the idea would be let's collect information about you, like where your physical location is between the hours of 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Because then we believe that you are most likely at home sleeping and so then we have other uh, other um, heuristics to kind of hone in on to determine that this is you, this is your location, and then start making sense out of that data as well. That's true. And if you spend like an hour a night in the Plaza Hotel, well, that they can assume something else about you too. I'm telling you guys, when I retire, it's just going to be a flip phone. Take all the heuristics you want off of that device. So You should probably buy that flip phone now because I'm sure there won't be any. <laughs> when you retire <laughs> oh, how do you get around that oh my gosh the old old school star tack i want to see the old school star tack love that phone i love that phone what do you think elon's going to do for us when it comes to the the whole like all the satellites and having high-speed internet and coming out with his own phone 
do you think he's going to err on the side of privacy or do you think he's going to open it up and make us, you know, a product? Don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's always been on the privacy side, right? I don't, I don't think he's ever been about selling people stuff and doing the right thing. But then again, he is a businessman. So, you know, I know he started an anti AI company that is trying to limit the abuses of AI. So I think he's going to err on the side of privacy. I'll miss my iMessage, but I'll give it a shot. If I can have some, some privacy there. You never know. Yeah, just don't text because texting is notoriously insecure. All right, for our next story, this one really made me rub my temples when I read about it. The company Norton LifeLock of Norton Antivirus fame, they bill itself as the consumer side of antivirus and identity protection solutions. They just announced that they are launching a crypto mining service to use your spare CPU cycles to mine Ethereum. That's a pretty common cryptocurrency. First of all, GPUs, these massive graphics cards, graphics processing unit, that's the only way you can even hope to break even when mining Ether. Basically, CPU mining is dead for Ether. You just cannot compete with the, the GPUs out there. A better coin to mine would be Monero, which is hostile towards ASICs and GPUs and friendly towards CPU mining. The next problem I have with them is the fee that they charge. So I went on Norton's website and looked it up, and Norton is charging an eye-popping 15% commission on any Ether that you mine. So what little Ether you mine already with your little CPU, Norton is going to take 15% of that as their, quote, pool fee. For context, some of the mainstream pools, like Slush Pool, they only take a 2% charge, so Norton is really gouging you with that that 15% service fee. I mean, it's it's I like it if I'm a capitalist, I'm trying to make money. I mean, might as well, right? If you're if you're I have, how many how many devices do you think they're even deployed on? 100 Billions. million? Yeah. Norton? I mean, I mean that that could be. Yeah, that's a good check. I'm more impressed they're even willing to kick back any dough to the end user. I thought they just put it in the background, like, oh, we're just scanning right now. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Yeah, it doesn't matter that your <laughs> PC is running slow. That That's just us in the back making making coin. Yeah. You got to wonder, though, like, if it does, and if it degrades your hardware, if it's just sitting there running max all the time. Oh, yeah, it has to. Like, the, uh, the wear and tear on your CPU, the energy it requires, the, if you're using a laptop, the battery of that. You know, laptops work built with cooling in mind. Uh, just a bad idea overall. I've seen some uh, hardware crypto miners, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll buy one, right? I'm bored. You just plug it in, see what happens, and then go to checkout. It's like $60,000. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be buying uh, any hardware today, boys. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way to compete. And even then, when you buy a $60,000 rig, the ROI on that, it's either long or it's impossible because the difficulty goes up. As more of these miners come on the network, the difficulty goes up and it's possible you'll never make your money back, especially with the cost of power. It's almost always been true that just buying the coins and holding them as they rise in value is, is a better investment than mining them. But what if you were able to uh, mine Bitcoin and it goes from you know 45 grand to a million? Then buying the coin at forty-five grand and hodling it would have been a better idea than mining yeah. it. Still, 
what's the expectation on that? It's like, okay, great. I'm going to install this on my two laptops. Do I come out with like one, one, one millionth of a coin after a month? I think that's, that, that would be the, the, the idea is like, okay, what's the risk versus the return of turning that on? And what's the 15%? Because some people probably don't know how to do that anyway. So they figure they're going to leave their PC on and, and let it run. Depends on the CPU. So actually, years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this, maybe 20, I want to call it 2010, there's a project called Folding at Home, if you remember that, where you would install a piece of software on your, your machine, let it run in the background, and it would do like complex protein folding to find a cure for cancer. So I actually opted into that. Like, I think that's fair. Like, you can use my spare CPU cycles to find a cure for cancer. I'm 100% on board with that. Uh, just mining for profit for these pennies that I'm I'm potentially getting out probably not not for me anymore. How many people do you think this like they install Norton and this is like hey do you want a crypto and you're like yeah whatever this click yes and then well you know enter in your wallet here and there's probably a checkbox that says you can do this later. I'm gonna have to go install then, this. Meanwhile, yeah. yeah. Well, meanwhile, Norton's like well you know what we don't we can't pay your 15% back if you. Uh, or give you what you, I'm sorry, what you deserve if you don't have an account created, I guess we'll just hold it. It'd be interesting to say, I was like, I'm gonna, I've got to go try and install this now to see what the the opt-in or opt-out on this, right? Uh, and then you see it turn on and you're like, oh my. It, it'd be cool. It, the smart marketing way would be to say, hey, go ahead and install Norton. We'll let you do it for free and... If you let us, or go ahead, get it, get Norton. And if you let us mine with you, then you get Norton for free. That would be like kind of the give to get. That would be a marketing, a great marketing uh, event right there. That's actually the origins of browser-based mining started with something similar. It was, you would go to a news website and that says you have the choice between very intrusive ads that play music at the max volume speaker or we can mine a little bit of cryptocurrency while you're reading our news article. Either way, we get paid. One's more intrusive, one's in the background. That's how it got started. And then that was just co-opted by all these hackers that use these, this malicious JavaScript and just blasted this all over the internet without people's consent or permission. And they just had to ruin it for everybody. All right, for our last topic, and it'll be a rotating topic every week, this week we'll talk about finance. And this is personal finance. The year 2021 could clearly be defined as the year of the rise of what's called buy now, pay later services. If you did any shopping this Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even this Christmas season online, you no doubt saw services from uh, companies like Klarma, Affirm, QuadPay, PayPal, and Afterpay. Amazon has had this service forever if you use their credit card, but you give up the 3 to 5% cash back if you take advantage of the service. The pitch is this. You see that $1,000 Slam and Salmon sweater, and you shell out the $1,000 today, or you have the option of making 10 easy payments of $100 each. The service is typically free because the merchant picks up the service fee. The merchants love it because they sell more merchandise when you're only paying $100 up front, instead of $1,000 for that sweater, so they sell more sweaters. Now the problem I see with this is that we're building up massive amounts of consumer debt, similar to what we saw in the subprime mortgage mess back in 2008. Sure, I can bill $1,000 for a sweater on my credit card, 
But if I use a buy now, pay later service, I can buy 10 sweaters for $100 up front for each. Sure, I'll still owe $10,000 for some sweaters, but since when did debt ever dissuade someone from buying what they really want in the moment? Unlike the subprime mortgage crisis, this buy now, pay later type service is what's called unsecured debt, that these companies have nothing to come after if you default on your debt. If you defaulted on your subprime mortgage, well, the bank could come after your house and they could resell the house. But for these consumer goods, no one's going to repossess my slamming salmon sweater. Am I the only one here that's ever heard of a slamming salmon sweater? I think I saw Chris wear it like two weeks ago. <laughs> so I actually, I took advantage of the, the buy now, pay later thing on two purchases in the past year. One of them is when we did all new appliances and it was like, you know, 0% for, for 12 months. And I was like, ah, it kind of makes sense, right? I'll do that. And this did it auto pay. And I think actually uh, the last one just went through. So I'm done with that. But there is a definitely a hefty uh, interest rate that comes along with it if you go beyond that, that, that 12 months. The other one was I think I was doing some birthday shopping for my wife and <clears throat> buying like a necklace, I think. And it was the same thing. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll do that. And then the bill came in. I was like, just annoyed. I was like, I'm just going to pay for it. Like I could have done 12 payments and I was just being too lazy. I didn't want to set it up. Yeah. I, so it's one thing I always try to tell my kids is like, pay your debt. Um, if you can't afford it today, you're definitely not going to be able to afford it tomorrow. Um, but the idea of setting up payments, it, if you do, if you do it in a smart way, you'll be able to get away with it and, and take advantage of that. Right. Cause what not better use of saving, you know, your money and leveraging someone else's as long as you pay on time. But like you said, Brian, you miss one payment by one day and all of a sudden there's a 50 or a hundred dollar charge on your, on your card that you're, that you realize, man, that really cost me. Um, gone are the days though. Have you guys remember layaways? I remember layaways from maybe 34 years ago. I haven't seen that around. Yeah. And it's, it was always like, for my parents, it was like, you come in, what was it during like early right before school started in august and you you know my parents would lay away clothes and toys and then they'd make you know three four months of payments and then we would get it for christmas right so that, those were the days back then and i don't know if we do that anymore or if anyone's doing layaways these days but that was kind of that was always pretty cool i remember layaways being available at like walmart but i don't think i ever took advantage of it and I don't think it, if it if it was if you had the option of you know do a layaway, and you don't get it until you actually pay for it versus buy now pay later like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that these kids are gonna they're gonna run wild with that. Yeah, I think it's been replaced by credit cards, easy access to credit, and probably to some extent payday loans as well. Easier access to that that you can just get a get a loan, buy it now, and then figure out how to pay that off later. Are your are your payday loans in California? Are those illegal? No, they're they're legal here, but I think they're capped. They're I mean, it's still exorbitant. Arizona. It's like twenty five percent a week or something. Yeah, it's like it's only meant to be, you know, a short term loan. Hard but money. I think it is capped here. What a racket, right? Chris knows all about those hard money loans. <laughs> <laughs> Let me borrow a hundred dollars now, so in five days I can pay you back one hundred and twenty five. That, that's just like loan yeah. sharking. That's legalized loan sharking right there. But if you need the money, it's wild to think that that's that's that is some people's reality, man. 
we're blessed we are blessed yeah brian and chris so yeah for sure well we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week dad joke of the week this week brian is up so we got this one from a, a listener scotty ray and he submitted this to me uh, earlier this week when i was on pto but here we go where did the it guy keep all of his dad jokes don't know in a dad a base nice good job that's a good one good job scotty thank you very much for that submission yeah thank you scotty appreciate that all right to wrap things up it admins got a holiday double whammy with log4j and the y22k exchange bug verizon automatically collects your data but promises not to sell it scouts honor Norton LifeLock is starting a crypto mining service. What could possibly go wrong? And buy now, pay later could cause the next financial crisis. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pebcac Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling someone else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pebcac podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host Brian Deach and Glenn Medina, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Have a nice day. <laughs>